We followed the extremes of the Republican Party under Donald Trump and certainly what happened on January 6th and the radical white supremacist, QAnon-influenced, militia-based groups that now make up much of the base of the Republican Party. But the Republican Party has for several years now, before Donald Trump even, been moving toward having a constitutional convention. And the plan is to change the Constitution, fundamentally alter the Constitution. Particularly, they would go on the attack against any of the amendments that protect people, civil rights, the 14th Amendment, others. And... Travis Waldron has been covering it and wrote a piece for HuffPost, and the headline is, A Radical Right Dream to Rewrite the Constitution is Close to Coming True. Travis Waldron, reporter for HuffPost, joins me to talk about it. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So a lot of people don't understand the process of this, and I want to go through how this even happens. Uh, but certainly the history of how we've gotten to this point. Uh, You talk about how there were people organizing, uh, going way back, uh, Republicans wanting to change the Constitution, and they are using the uh, ability within the Constitution to have a constitutional convention in order to do it. So – before we go to the the history of this particular uh, moment and these individuals, just talk about the process, uh, how, um, how a group of people go about changing the Constitution. Right. So the, there are two processes outlined in the Constitution. The first one, the one that's been used uh, for every amendment, currently on the Constitution is essentially that Congress uh, proposes an amendment, sends it to the states for consideration uh, by passing it with two-thirds majorities in both houses, and then the states have to ratify the proposed amendment, or they choose not to. Uh, And they they need uh, three-quarters, correct, of the states? Three-quarters of the states, right. Um, And then the, the other process is what uh, people who follow this much more closely than even I do is called an Article 5 convention in which Article 5 is the process that uh, the article in the Constitution that lays out how it can be amended. And what that says is that uh, two thirds of states, so 34 right now, can file petitions to convene uh, for the consideration of amendments. And once two thirds reach that threshold on a similar subject, then uh, the onus is on Congress to to call the convention. And so that's what they're trying to do, that we've never actually had a a full Article 5 convention before, but this is the aim um, that the the right right now is really pushing. And there are some people on the left pushing it, as I I wrote in the piece, but there's much more organization and infrastructure uh, for the, the, the right groups on this right now. 
So uh, in the past, and and we certainly, uh, you know, can look at uh, amendments like the 14th Amendment and others that are, you know, more recent in the last uh, century or so, the process has been driven by Congress and then taken to the states. There have also been um, attempts such as the Equal Rights Amendment that didn't uh, quite make it in the states. This is the other way around. The states leading the effort. And obviously, we're in a situation right now where um, more and more states have Republican legislatures, Republican governors. Uh, This has become more and more alarming uh, as Democrats have lost ground in the states. And that's really what the play is here. And so talk about this particular uh, movement. I mean, you go back to, in the beginning of your piece, a um, gathering in Williamsburg, Virginia, six weeks before Donald Trump won the election in 2016. Now, they had been working on this since before that, but this was a gathering uh, to talk about what they wanted to do. Talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so the, the history of this particular movement dates, you know, back to the 1950s with the balanced budget amendment push. And and it kind of got close and then died off in the 80s and then comes back under President Obama uh, when I'm sure you'll remember the balanced budget amendment got popular again right. among conservatives. And the, but the, the 2016 mock convention that I, co- I wrote about in the piece was a broader effort. It was essentially a proposal to uh, do anything regarding fiscal restraint and term limits. Uh, and they passed at this mock convention uh, six new amendments. They repealed the 16th Amendment, which is the federal income tax and Congress's power to levy a federal income tax. They passed the balanced budget amendment. And they did some other things, including uh, one of their proposals was to restore the Commerce Clause to its original meaning. Now, the Commerce Clause Congress has used to uh, protect civil rights and regulate civil rights uh, and also to do a lot of other regulatory matters. Um, it sounded at the time and it didn't, you know, obviously didn't receive a whole lot of coverage at the time because it was kind of a pipe dream. But there has been a movement over the last five or six years to really amp this up. The balanced budget amendment movement is currently closer. They have 27 states um, out of the necessary 34. This other effort, which is led by uh, a group that was founded in part by Mark Meckler, a veteran of the Tea Party movement, and now the kind of interim CEO of Parler, the social media app, they have 15 states, but they kind of seem like the more aggressive one. And and obviously, when it comes to the concerns about what this sort of convention could do and that experts have about what this convention could do, uh, that, that broader kind of scope of what they're proposing raises a lot more alarm among experts, but also a lot more questions about what the convention could actually accomplish or try to accomplish in all the ways that it could go off the rails. Now, this this Convention of States project, uh, which is the latter group you're talking about, led by uh, the founder of the Tea Party Patriots, Meckler, um, they helped to get 15 states to pass resolutions that call for a new constitutional convention. And 
This year, lawmakers proposed 42 Convention of States resolutions in at least 24 new states, you report as well. Right. There, there are proposals all across the country. And what Convention of States has done is targeted specific states, uh, many of which you would think would be amenable to this, places with uh, conservative legislatures like Kentucky, um, Montana, South Carolina, uh, Wisconsin. You know, the first two of those, Kentucky and Montana, are places where Republicans hold super majorities in the state legislatures, but they didn't advance. Kentucky's legislature is already uh, done for the year, and their proposal didn't advance there. The Montana proposal was killed um, and didn't advance. But there are others proceeding. The South Carolina resolution has gone forward, uh, at least out of committee, which is the second straight year that's happened. And Wisconsin has advanced theirs for the second straight year out of committee. So they could receive floor votes soon. Whether they'll pass, though, is still an open question, because as the piece goes into, there is a lot of uh, kind of grassroots conservative opposition to this idea, too. Uh, if you go all the way back to the 80s, uh, Eagle Forum and other conservative groups were very opposed to this idea. And people I talk to, you know, they, they say that even a lot of the local Tea Party groups, the smaller groups that have stuck around since the Tea Party wave first kicked off back in 2010, they, they oppose this because they worry, uh, much like a lot of the liberal opponents of this do, that it, it's mostly an effort for special interest to try and rewrite the Constitution in a way that they don't want. Uh, one person told me flat out what, what they want in their conservative group is more adherence to how they believe this Constitution should be interpreted, not a dramatic rewrite of it. Uh, so it, it, there's kind of these weird alliances uh, in opposition right. to it. Most of most of the opposition now is being driven by liberal groups. And, you know, as the piece goes into, there's this sort of tug of war uh, where liberal groups have gone around to Democratic state legislatures that had older resolutions on the books and gotten them to to repeal those. That that happened just last week in Colorado, which was a big shot um, and a potential uh, a manner of keeping it from happening anytime soon, because Colorado had a balanced budget amendment provision on the books from years ago. And by taking it off, they, they, they took one key state away uh, to keep them mm -hmm. from getting to that 34 number that would make a convention at least much more likely. Of course, the concern, I'm sure among many, certainly I think about, is that uh, in this time, even when you think that there are a whole bunch of Republicans who are opposed to something and say they're opposed to it, uh, things shift very rapidly and a radical extreme takes control and, you know, Donald Trump leads the way and they just all right. cave in and you need 34 states to have this convention. And some of the fears that uh, certainly progressives are worried about and people who care about civil rights is and, and, and conservative too the First Amendment, uh, the 14th Amendment, uh, all of the uh, protections for free speech, for civil rights, uh, any of these could be up for grabs. Once you open up this convention, once you open up changing the Constitution, you don't know what they can do. Right. And that's the main concern that a lot of opponents have is that 
we haven't had one of these conventions before, and so it's unclear what would happen once you once it actually starts. And they, there's a term for this that's been around for decades called a runaway convention. The proponents of holding one of these conventions uh, say that's not true, it's not possible, that uh, there have been smaller conventions in the past that have stuck to a single issue, and that any convention now would have mechanisms in place to force it to stick to whatever issue it was that was called. Uh, but a lot of people aren't persuaded by that argument. They, they think that there's you know, not enough guardrails in the Article 5 process as it's written to keep it in check and keep it limited as it is now, and that basically anything could be on the table uh, once this sort of convention was called. Meckler, the guy behind the Convention of States proposal, he similarly argues that this won't, that won't happen. Uh, but again, at a at a time right now when, as you mentioned, um, the the Republican Party isn't exactly prone to following rules or norms or or existing uh, processes, um, the the case that it could go off the rails seems even more persuasive than it might have been a few years ago. Well, yeah, when you think about other countries where there was an authoritarian either in office or somewhere wanting to grab power. And then you read about they changed the Constitution. Um, <laughs> you know, you realize this is the worst time for anybody to be focused on this because you know exactly the kinds of people who will zero in on it. What, what do we know about, in particular, um, some of the, you know, familiar characters and the Trump loyalists, uh, like Matt Gates, like Louis Gomer, like others in, involved in some of these groups as well, uh, connected to the insurrection and their uh, focus on or opposition to this? Well, it's interesting, again, because it, it doesn't, there aren't like clear lines here, right? Um, you know, the this seems, as one of the experts I talked to told me, it's, it's, not really a movement. It's a well-funded organization that kind of uh, presents itself as a movement. And so we know that the kind of typical pro-business conservative groups like ALEC um, and, and some of the others, Freedom Works, support this idea. But then you have elements uh, of like Andy Biggs, the Arizona congressman, um, who, who questioned election results, has written an entire book saying that this is a bad idea. And so it's, it's, a, it's really hard to, to sort of just draw clear lines because you, you do have uh, on their website the, the Article 5 convention has support from people like Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, um, the Ben Shapiros and Mark Levines of the world that are, uh, you know, kind of every little piece of what the Republican coalition is now, but other parts of it aren't so, sh uh, aren't so into it. And so it's sort of hard to know, even if they tried to do this, what the reaction would be, even just within the Republican Party or the conservative coalition. In the same way, you know, there are uh, people on the left who think an article convention, uh, an Article 5 convention could be a useful way to get something like uh, limits on corporate campaign spending. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the liberal groups that oppose this have pushed back on that, saying, look, maybe a, like a, a constitutional amendment to uh, limit corporate campaign contributions would be a good thing, but this sort of convention is the wrong way to do it because there is so much 
organization uh, organization and so much funding on the other side that that would push for something uh, that progressives and liberals would definitely oppose. And even if it doesn't go so far as uh, civil rights or, you know, reining in the commerce clause or, or anything big and drastic like that, a balanced budget amendment in and of itself is a, a pretty big blow to progressivism in the United States because it would almost certainly force massive spending cuts. Uh, it could force cuts to Social Security, Medicare, large parts of the welfare state. I mean, economists have been warning against a balanced budget amendment for decades. And, you know, this doesn't even have to get to the worst case scenario for it to become something that strikes a major blow against what, how progressives uh, see the role of the federal government in the United States. I, I remember talk among progressives years ago about a constitutional convention because it was so hard to get a constitutional amendment passed. Um, but yes, that was a very different time. <laughs> and and right. this is uh, one, just one last quick, quick question. We just have a minute. How close are they to this? You have uh, the states lined out and the number of states that have come aboard. Um, and you're saying there has been pushback in states or at least votes that didn't happen. How, how close are they to, to really being able to do this? It depends on how you count. Uh, the the balanced budget amendment right now is at 27. It needs to get to 34. There are some uh, elements of the right who think that they're closer than that because there are existing convention calls that they think can be folded in. The convention of states proposal is much farther away. It's 15 out of 34. Right. But again, there, there, there are arguments to try and combine some of these and make it happen. And then the big question after that is, you know, even if they get close to 34, could they get the amount of support in Congress that would be needed to make a convention happen? So it's, it's unclear just how close it is. But I think it's, it's definitely, you know, given the radical nature of it or, or what mm -hmm. we would think of when we think of a, a convention, right. it's closer than most people would realize. Right. Really great uh, deep dive on this and great reporting. Thanks for coming on and speaking to us about it. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Travis Waldron is a reporter at HuffPost. You can read his article on HuffPost.com. Uh, We're back in a few minutes. This is the Michelangelo Senior Ellie Show on Sirius XM. 